All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're live for day two of the Kerry Lake trial, oh and God. it looks like right. we are starting right on time. So I'm just going to go ahead and remove myself, and uh, we're going to tune in. All right, this is CV 2020-209-5403. This is Kerry Lake versus Katie Hobbs at Al. And I will take appearances at the beginning of the day. Brian, Brian Blum on behalf of the plaintiff, Kerry Lake. Morning. Morning, Your Honor. Kurt Olson on behalf of Plaintiff Perry Lake. Morning. Good morning, Your Honor. Elena Rodriguez Armenta for Governor Katie Hobbs. Alexis Janneman for Governor Katie Hobbs. Morning, Your Honor. Craig Morgan for Sherman and Howard on behalf of the Secretary of State. With me are my colleagues Jake Rapp and Shane Stewart. Morning, Your Honor. Thomas Liddy on behalf of the county defendants from the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. Morning, Your Honor. Emily Kreger from the Burgess Law Group on behalf of Maricopa County Defendants. With me this morning, Your Honor, is Joe LaRue from Maricopa County Attorney's Office, Jack O'Connor, and Rose Osliar. All from MCA. Thank you very much. And good morning to all of you. Um, <clears throat> all right. There was, there was one matter that I wanted to address with you. Um, at, at sidebar, but the easiest way to do the sidebar is I think what we did yesterday is just have the clerk have the headphones on <clears throat> and we'll pause the live stream proceeding for just a second. I'll excuse everybody from the courtroom except for the attorneys and the parties, and then I'll address that one issue and we'll move forward, okay? So if we could do that at this time. Um, Luz, do you need the headphones or anything? Yeah. Okay. All right, so we have a little bit of a sidebar going on um, right at the beginning here, which gives me an opportunity to provide a little commentary. So I believe that today we're going to pick up where we left off with Brian Blem continuing his examination of Ray Valenzuela, the election administrator in Maricopa County. And then we'll go to uh, cross-examination from the defense's attorneys. Okay. Um, yesterday I gave you a homework assignment to visit with your clients. Um, that was quick. Okay, I'm there, step out. Um, what are your positions? Your Honor, Plaintiff uh, Kerry Lake, we have absolutely no objection to the court continuing in this matter. Thank you, Mr. Bunn. I have your homework assignment. If we have to turn it in. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on just a second. Go ahead. Have a seat. Mr. Olson, did you have anything to add? Or Your Honor. All right. Any of the defendants, or each of the defendants, I should say? Morning again, Your Honor. Governor Katie Hobbs, no objection to proceeding in court. Thank you. Secretary of State has no objection, Your Honor. Thank you. Your Honor, I've personally spoken to the actual elected representatives of Maricopa County and the recorder's office, and they each indicated they had the highest confidence in your ability to proceed without any bias in what you did. So. I will. I think I've heard from everyone. Then I'll proceed. My next question to you is this. Your jobs are hard enough. Um,
So it looks like they've cut the audio here. Um, maybe this is this is the sidebar, and maybe they were having a little technical difficulty cutting the sound in the, uh, in the first place. But it's not on my end. It's it's they they've cut the audio from inside of the court. All right, well, I guess I have an opportunity to bring something to your attention here. So the Gateway Pundit, they published an article uh, this morning. It was Jordan Conradson who said, we now have more footage of this very same signature worker uh, from the 90-second clip. We have, I guess, more video that's been provided of that same person verifying thousands of signatures in less than three seconds per signature. Now, unfortunately... The article doesn't include the actual video. We're going to take care of that first before we... Oh, gosh. It's okay. Stay where you are. Good. I'm excited. You can do that. Put that on. Good idea. We get the turn. Okay. All right. Okay, the court's been advised that there was an exhibit that uh, the parties wish to add. On the record, I want to address this. So who's going to do that? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, Your Honor, last night in preparation for today's testimony, we realized that Exhibit 18, which is the data chart uh, drawn from Exhibit 20, the uh, data that was produced by Maricopa County pursuant to the Public Records Act request, that it had printed out two-sided and it was only scanned one-sided. Exhibit 18, as it currently stands, the summary, the totals, which are the most significant aspect of it, are in Exhibit 18. But, Your Honor, we would request, uh, and we also notify defendants as soon as we learned about this this morning, we would request to add the complete exhibit number as Exhibit 47 now uh, that we have uh, prepared for your honor. Thank you. And, counsel, for the defense, you've had the opportunity to inspect Exhibit 47. We're going to have to look at it, Your Honor. I think our position generally is that we're going to object to admissibility for purposes of this discussion. I don't know if you need to go there. We're not admitting it right now. I don't think we object to having it included in the exhibits so it's for the purpose of completeness, but I just want to make the court aware we are absolutely objecting to its admissibility. I'm not asking anybody to stipulate to admissibility at this point. We're simply correcting an administrative problem in that Exhibit 18 um, – it was copied two-sided, and we're, we're now correcting it to be Exhibit 47. Admissibility will be addressed at proper time. Yes, thank you. Okay. Yes? The governor does object to the inclusion of this exhibit. That's why I asked if you've inspected it. So if you want to look at it to make sure, you that's the other co-defendants apparently believe that it's the same thing but not two copy-sided. Yeah, you're, Your Honor, I have no reason to doubt, I to doubt that, they're, that they're not being truthful about that, but it, it was like disclosed to the court considering it in any form, but that was disclosed. Um, okay. Your Honor, Maricopa County is in a unique position because this document reportedly came from Maricopa County, so we've had it. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Is this was 18 one that? Please was the data chart from Exhibit 20, which came from this. But 18 is the one that was created by your. Correct. Okay, I feel like I'm not even here, Your Honor. <laughs> okay. I, my only concern is, is if you want to look at it right now and compare it, I'll give you the chance to do that because I'm being told it's a technicality. It's basically what was there before is now being presented in different format with, in other words, one-sided copies versus two-sided copies. And nothing has changed with regard to what's been previously disclosed and marked. That's what's been represented to me. If you're telling me that you haven't had the chance to look at it, I'll let you look at it. I'm not this correctly. Is that the exhibit that was disclosed with every other page of these of this chart, and now they, they now they have produced every page of the chart? If, if that's the case, Your Honor, I mean, I, I would still object. I don't know what these numbers are. I assume there'll be some testimony about that, but you know, we didn't well, have this. <clears throat> understood. And you, the significance of the numbers of admissibility is something that we'll address later. But this is a. I don't want to belabor this and. But it, but it's, it appears to me to be a um, form over substance kind of a thing. It, so I'm hesitant to um, overrule an objection and say it's, an, it's not admitted, but it's a procedural step. Put it this way. <clears throat> I'm going to allow them to mark it. It's going to be in the record. If you look over things later on and then you've got a problem with the difference between the two, you can raise that objection at the time it's posed for admission. Understood, yeah. Sarah? Okay. I think we dealt with it. Okay. Yesterday, where we left off was we had Mr. Valenzuela on the stand, and Mr. Blem was continuing with his direct examination of Mr. Valenzuela. So, um, Mr. Valenzuela, sir, if you could please come forward. You remain under oath if you'll just go ahead and have a seat up here to my right. Do I turn something on? There you are. Okay. Thank you. All right. I believe he's situated. So, Mr. Blum, as soon as you're ready, you may continue. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, good morning, Ray. Good morning. I've got uh, some documents here we're trying to get up onto the Elmo. And I'm using these as demonstrative exhibits, Your Honor. They are uh, simply video clips of <coughs> verification inside of MC Tech. Jack here. Uh, Judge, I was aware of having been disclosed the video we saw yesterday. I don't know what we're looking at here. I heard him say videos. I object to using any of these videos. Well, which exhibit? Your Honor, these are these are not exhibits. These are clips from I'm seeing I'm simply trying to conserve time by using these images. I'm going to ask Mr. Valenzuela what they depict and whether or not they appear to be an accurate representation of signature verification rules inside of that Okay, but 
they're not marked as exhibits, and you're not intending to offer them as I, I have no intention of offering them as exhibits, Your Honor. They're solely for demonstrative purposes. Your Honor, I, I disclosed and marked for exhibits by impeachment exhibits because that's what we were told to do. This is not fair. We cannot use things we've not seen and spring it on us or our witness in the middle of a hearing or a trial. These can't be used. Okay, Mr. Lady. I would join that and also, Your Honor, that this is not being used as a demonstrative. It is being used as evidence uh, while this witness is on. That's not what a demonstrative is used for. The governor would join in the objections by the other defendants. It's not a demonstrative. He is offering it as evidence. Okay. Demonstrative exhibits, as I understand them, would be exhibits that would be offered to demonstrate how something happens. In other words, well, I don't want to give a seminar on demonstrative exhibits, but included within that would be things such as writing on a chart um, while a witness is testifying, explaining a calculation on a chart, or um, explaining a process. The previous clip that we used, I don't recall which exhibit it was. Somebody help me. What was the exhibit that um, you used? 19. Thank you all. Exhibit 19 would serve the purpose of a demonstrative exhibit that we used yesterday. This would be cumulative in terms of demonstrative, and, um, and it hasn't been disclosed previously, and it's not marked as an exhibit. So, understood, Your Honor. Is there something unique about this clip that demonstrates something completely different than we saw in the Exhibit 19? Oh, this is uh, actually used to uh, refresh Ray's recollection, Your Honor. Uh, yesterday, counsel for defendants made specific representations to this court regarding this signature verification employee, Mr. Valenzuela testified before this court that this gentleman was incompetent with technology, and I'm paraphrasing, and as a result of that, Your Honor, he was removed from the line, all right, and transferred to a new job. These demonstrative exhibits I intend to use to refresh Mr. Valenzuela and his recollection so that we can more artfully discuss whether or not this individual was removed from the line and whether they were aware of his behavior during signature verification. Okay, so what you're telling me is it's impeachment evidence because refreshing recollection, you have to have asked him a question first for him to say, I either can or can't answer that. But... Um, You'll also have to have foundation within the question because if it's going to timestamp, if he has a statement, for instance, this activity happened on this date, for, in, well, for instance, the person was removed on X date, it's impeachment as to the memory or ref, reference as to when this person was removed. Understood. And so if, never mind, I, I'm, we're going way beyond this, but... You're, it's the cart before the horse if you're using it for impeachment, and what you're demonstrating is the impeachment. 
So why don't you go ahead and ask the questions you wish to ask him first, and then we'll discuss what you can use it for related to impeachment. Ray, did you hear the witness testimony yesterday stating that they were um, basically relieved of their responsibilities on November 11, 2022, following the general objection, Your Honor? Counsel's referring to opening statement by counsel, not to any testimony that was put in evidence. I believe the, uh, the whistleblower witnesses we testified believe that they, they were told they were no longer needed as of November 11, 2022. No, wait. <clears throat> to be clear, if you're going to impeach this witness, it has to be this witness's statement. This is not going to be... I'm going to ask him about the statement, Your Honor. Well, that's what I want you to do, is ask him what his statement is so that we can address possible impeachment not someone else's statement, either an opening or a different witness. Right. Ray, do you recall when uh, this particular user that was depicted in the video yesterday um, was relieved of his duties as a level one signature verifier? I do not. Do you have any reason to believe it was November 11th? I would not have that data. As an do, you, do you have any reason to dispute that it was November 11th? I have no reference material to know when he was changed as far as job tasks. Okay. You just know his job was changed. Correct. Okay. And uh, he continued working for Maricopa County, isn't that correct? That is correct. In the elections department? Correct? Correct. In a different level of signature verification? Not in a different level of signature verification. In a different task, such as curing, such as special election boards, there are many tasks involved in the election process. What individuals be, would be responsible for sitting in one of those little cubicles with green affidavit envelopes, sorting them into two different files, and then walking them over to a little stand and dropping them in a green and a red box? Objection is to form, Your Honor. There's been no testimony about any body in a cubicle sorting green affidavit packets and moving them anywhere. This is, you could stop it for him. It was multifaceted. If you could break it down, okay. Mr. Blunt. What task are they performing when they sit in their cubicles in the possession of green affidavit envelopes? A physical green affidavit envelopes, then they are either in the process of curing, meaning alphabetizing those packets so that when a voter calls, we can locate them, and or they are packets that we needed that fall into a category of deceased, uh, moved, all of those different, we categorize them into different trays to identify them as such. Okay. And so what was the last day you had most of the temporary workers close their business with respect to signature verification? And with respect to signature verification? Go ahead. As respect to signature verification, we were completed by Friday, November 11th. By Friday, November 11th. Absolutely. Okay. And so it's entirely possible this gentleman was still working in signature verification as of November 11th. Isn't that correct? More than likely not because, again, he was reassigned a task. That last push would have been the very last cue, if you will. So it wouldn't have been, we're done, now let's reassign him. It would have been ahead of that. Because of his performance? I, I don't say that it's because of his performance. I indicated on a reason why many folks or somebody could be moved out of a task 
It could be performance. It could be technical skill set. Many other things that could lend it to that. Okay. Um, are you aware that the video uh, that is Exhibit 19 um, has a date stamp of November 10? I don't have the video in front of me, but I will trust that, that if it has date stamp, that that date would be accurate. Okay. Um, and so if he's working on November 10 and now you're testifying that he was reassigned because he, you know, was somehow incompetent with either his skill set or his performance, then was he really reassigned or is that you simply trying to cover yourself? Form. All right. Overrule on relevance. I understand the the form. Although it's direct examination, this is a witness who's um, party representative of the other side. So um, I'll allow that it can be a leading question. The only issue is if Mr. Valenzuela, if you understood the question and you can answer it, please answer it. If you need it rephrased, you can ask it to be rephrased. Um, if you un don't understand the question, please do not guess. So, Mr. Liddy? Your Honor, while formulating the question, he accused our client of trying to deceive the public to hide something that he did. That's argumentative. Okay. Um, and I object to that. All right. And unfounded. Okay. Well, the unfounded part, we'll wait for his answer, if he's able to answer the question. As argumentative, I'd imagine most everything that Mr. Blum has is argumentative with regard to this, this the state's position. Um, Mr. Valenzuela, I believe, is capable of understanding the implications of the way the question is phrased. Okay. Argumentative, I reserve for, I, I, I will protect witnesses from being badgered or from being harassed, but if, they, if I feel that they're capable of answering the question. Thank you, Ron. I withdraw my objection. That's fine. Okay, Mr. Valenzuela, I'm sorry. It, it seems like it's been minutes since you were asked a question. I can have Mr. Blem re-ask it if you need to. Would that be helpful? If I could have the question read. Mr. Blem, please re-ask your question. Mr. Valenzuela, you testified that this gentleman was reassigned, and you don't know why, so I will just leave that. It had something to do with his performance, whether skill-wise or or duty-wise, that he was reassigned. It, was that was that a way to simply protect yourself in Maricopa County Elections Department in the face of very negative evidence? Objection, relevance, and form. Okay. I'll let him out. Overrule on relevance. And we've already gone over form. So if you can answer, please answer. So to the question, if I'm looking to protect myself and the county by, by 
I'm not sure whether we're protecting ourselves. So we reassigned somebody to a task because potentially they didn't have a skill set or the tool set, if you will, that to apply. I don't know how that's protecting ourselves or what statement I made that would infer that. Okay. Have you, uh, have you provided this data set that's marked as Exhibit 20 uh, to any media organizations like ABC News and the Data Guru? Projection relevance. I give you a little bit of leeway. I'm not sure where this is going, but this is pretty far removed from the issues. You want him to you want to know whether they disclosed this to any media? Yes, Your Honor. The reason for that is well, um, the data guru on ABC News last night has. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm, well, I'm not bringing in the news. I'm not bringing in any kind of of, of media. We're focused on this this courtroom, okay? You can ask him if he's aware of any other public records requests if you want to by media, but that that Mr. Valenzuela, are you aware of any um, public records requests made by any members of the media with respect to the data set that's been marked as Exhibit Twenty? That's a yes or no. Objection on relevance and foundation. The, the well, that's what is yes or no. Mr. Valenzuela is not the custodian of records for Maricopa County. Given that that's the truth, I'll allow him ask answer the question. If you're able to, Mr. Valenzuela. No, I'm not aware. Okay. Thank you. Let's move on. Are you aware at all if the data set marked as Exhibit 20 has been shared with any media outlets without making a formal public record request? Objection, relevance. Objection, foundation. This witness has not seen that exhibit, Your Honor. Exhibit 20 is admitted, Your Honor. Maricopa County's data. Right, but... Maricopa County and every employee. But that... <laughs> That's fine, but I'm not going to hold any witness to photographic memory standards. <laughs> Your Honor, for clarification, are you speaking about the data set, the Exhibit 20? Your Honor, I don't know how he could possibly testify to that knowledge of the entirety of Exhibit 20 in the data, the CD. I'm not asking in specifics about the data whether line 1,327 says X, Y, or Z, Your Honor. I'm simply asking if the totality of that data set has been provided to any media outlets in the absence of a formal public record request. Here's the, the issue. You can ask him as a private individual or you're, he's not here as the custodian of record. He's not here to testify as to the entire organization's responses with regard to public records requests. I'm struggling mightily with relevance. I'd simply say, Your Honor, that he is the, uh, he's the designated representative for the Maricopa County Elections Department. He's here every day representing the people of the Elections Department and their work. That may be true, but the apex doctrine, and this is not somebody that 
This is like asking the President of the United States about who stood guard last night at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to infer that he has photographic knowledge of everything. We're, we're, we're fast approaching, um, uh, well, put it this way. I'm trying to be as lenient as possible with regard to relevance, but now we're far afield of the issue in front of the court. He's asked him, you've asked him one question about whether he has any knowledge of a public records request. He said no. Um, if you want to ask him, I'll let you ask him one more question to the point of has any knowledge of that information in that CD-ROM being shared with somebody. This is his personal knowledge, not the organization. Other than public and in this courtroom, you can ask them that. Ray, do you have any personal knowledge of anyone sharing the contents of Exhibit 20 with anyone outside of Maricopa County Elections Department in the absence of a formal public records request? As a representative of the department, as soon as a public record request is fulfilled, that becomes public records for any and all media and anybody else required. So, but for this particular data set, I would not am not aware of another public records request as I haven't been in the office, been in court. Um, exhibit twenty one. You're you're aware of Exhibit twenty one, isn't that correct? I am not. I not just by the number. Yes. Standing you have been marked as Exhibit 21, and can you tell the court if you are aware of that public records request? I am. Did you help fill that public records request? Section, Your Honor, relevance. Give you some leeway that we're going somewhere quick with this. All right. I'll take your word at it. You can answer it if you're able to, Mr. Valenzuela. So the request was, was I, did I assist? Yes. Part and participle to several elements of this request I assisted with. You actively assisted in so much of this public record? That is correct. Are you, when you're walking away and talking, I can't hear you. Oh, I, I apologize, Your Honor. I, uh, I'm looking. I'm looking, okay, this has been admitted then, correct? No. Then no need to. Are you, so your answer is you're completely unaware then of any other disclosure of the documents you produced in response to Exhibit 21's record request? As not being the custodian of records, I am not aware. Do you have a formal custodian of records? We do indeed. When did that start? Objection, relevance. I'm going to explain that. We're All right. We'll switch gears here a little bit. Signature verification. Um, and I don't think you specifically asked this, answered this question yesterday, but can it be done at employees' homes? The review is part of having to be logged into our network. So it requires that the element of an individual being 
on site or at one of the recorder's offices at the present. Okay, so there's no, so it's it's not possible then what you're testifying to log into your network to conduct a signature verification from home. Objection relevance, Your Honor, to the extent that the question is formulated to get any information related to signature verification at any time other than November of 2022. This was discussed yesterday with him, and I think the, the very question that you asked previously was asked and answered. My, um, my specific questions, just to assuage their concerns, are specifically related to the general election of November 2022, and whether or not Maricopa County employees, because he has not answered this question yet, Your Honor, are able to log in to the county network and conduct signature verification from home. Objection. Wait, let me clarify it to see if I've understood. You're asking him, is it possible for that to happen? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Objection, Your Honor, this is relevant. He's talking about process. We aren't here trying the process. We're trying whether the existing process happened. I'm not trying the process, Your Honor. Um, our next witness will present a great deal of evidence. Your Honor, showing yes. I'm not testifying. I'm making an argument and um, offer of proof. Checking the record. No, you're making an offer. Offer of proof. proof. Okay. Our next witness is going to present a great deal of testimony that a lot of what is taking place is simply button clicking, button clicking, button clicking. Mm -hmm. We want to know. If that is taking place outside of the public's purview, Your Honor, that's what we want to know. Because the law in Arizona... I thank you for your clarification. He answered that yesterday. And I, I think he, you asked him if that was being done, and he said no. You're asking today if it's possible for an employee to log in from home to the computer system of the county. That's what I'm asking, Your Honor. Is it possible? Not, not just that. That's poorly phrased. You're asking him, is it possible for an employee to log in from home and do signature verification from home, not just log into the general county's website? Correct, Your Honor. To log in and perform signature verifications from home. Okay. The yes or no question, Your Honor. I gathered that. Um, Go ahead and answer, Mr. Valenzuela. If I may take a point of privilege, that is, we do have remote capabilities for several of our staff admin, and I can log into my PC, but it is not a set standard or protocol to do so for signature verification. So, if I understand the response correctly, Maricopa County employees can log into the county system and perform signature verification from home, correct? Yes or no? As a protocol, not a standard. Could they, could, yes, could the clouds cover the sky and, and make systems go down? We could have a lot of that, but it's, technically they could log in, admin could log in and to conduct, our network. And conduct signature verification from home. It's not a protocol that we have established for that. Okay.
Mr. Valenzuela, I'm just trying to make sure the record is clear. Yes or no answer, Mr. Valenzuela. Is it physically possible for Maricopa County employees to log in and conduct signature verification from home? Objection, Your Honor. Form relevance is asked and answered. Your Honor, he keeps saying protocol, smotocol. It's a yes or a no question. Can they do it? An employee can log in and access all of their their PC as if they were sitting in front of that PC remotely. Okay. That are assigned those workstations. Not every employee has such. Okay. Do you allow your temporary employees remote access? They do not have workstations assigned to them, nor are they provided that capability. No. Okay. Change gears a little bit. Do you know? Someone by the name of Kathleen Nicolaitis. I do indeed. And who is she? She is a certified forensic document examiner who is certified by the ABFDE uh, with those credentials. And she is with Associated Forensic Laboratories, which is the entity that provides the Secretary of State's training to all 15 counties. In addition to that, we have contracted with her prior to the Secretary of State offering this service uh, to train and certify our FTE, our full-time employees, and permanent employees, and certified election officers. Okay. And what is, it, do you have a personal relationship with her or anything? Objection. Relevance. She, she's the individual that does all the training for signature verification, you're on. Right, and I think we're pretty far afield at this point. I, I just, I just want to understand his his relationship, Your Honor, with this individual who conducts their signature verification training. I don't understand the relevance, so I'm not going to allow that. All right, Your Honor. Sustain is another word for that. All right, and so we talked yesterday about Exhibit One. Can you please turn to the page that uh, and this I would like to use as a demarcation. Do you have a page number, please? And the exhibits haven't been admitted yet. If we can point to a page in one of the exhibits that you're about to use, then the answer to your question is yes. Of exhibit one. And it should be, it should be titled User 130. Which page is numbered? Uh, 
All right. Mr. Valenzuela, I suppose I should ask you, I briefly have in uh, today when we were looking at some of the numbers that potentially other witnesses had. Do you respect the number 130, user 134? User 134. Your Honor, this is a document. We don't know anything about this document. Who created it? It's not in evidence yet. We would ask the foundation. Yeah, we would have done something. I'm just going to ask him some specific questions about the data, and then I'm going to show a video of user 134. <laughs> right. So, first of all, This is not data created by the witness? No, Your Honor. Mr. Blunt? Uh, Your Honor, this is data that's contained in exhibit number 20. Which the witness testified. <laughs> Wait, I thought we were exhibit 11, page 139, user 134. It should say user 134, Your Honor. No, but it, I have it down as exhibit 11, page 139. Is that what it is? Foundation. Okay, and who is this? Who is this data created by? This witness or someone else? No, the data wasn't. The data was created by Maricopa County. What this data represents, Your Honor, are keystrokes on user verification computers. So when a user when a user logs into their workstation, that's how they know how everything we do at work. They they hit a button that says to do something, and that's recorded. Okay. And this it sounds like you're laying foundation by you testifying. But what I'm concerned about is a demonstrative exhibit. Put it this way. If you want to ask him a hypothetical question with assumptions of certain things, you're able to do that. That's where I'm going, Your Honor. I want to ask him a hypothetical question. And lay the foundation for your hypothetical, please. You have to give him the specific variables that you want him to consider, make whatever you want him to assume, and then if he's able to offer an opinion, he can do that. Mr. Valenzuela, going back to the user that uh, we... <laughs> Okay. So does that look like it might accurately represent his behavior? Objection to form. Sustain on form because it goes to foundation. It's assuming there's several leaps in this. Please go back and lay the foundation. Okay. Let's assume that this data represents 34 and his approval. 134 or 34? I'm sorry, 134. Your Honor, may I please be heard? Go ahead. 
I'm objecting to foundation because my understanding is, although I can't see it because of the furniture in the courtroom, that there is an exhibit in front of our my client, the witness, that he's looking at. Okay, there. This, as you can see, what we have here from this exhibit, it's a white page with black ink, red ink, green ink on it. We have no idea what it is. We have no idea who produced it, where it came from. I'm asking for him to provide some foundation before he shows it to the witness and asks him questions on it. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay. Right. Certain facts. Right, but I'm having a hard time following your hypothetical because I don't know before what we're asking for him to assume for his opinion, your question and his answer to have any value. I need to understand the basis for it. Objection for Sorry, objection for much, Your Honor. I I can't believe I'm lost. If, if we're gonna if we're gonna start all over on this issue and lay foundation, that'd be great. I honestly am not able to follow along at this point. Thank you. Okay, Mr. Valenzuela, are you a data analyst? I am not. Background at all in um, analyzing data sets such as that contained in Exhibit 20? Other than reviewing data, and obviously pivot table and that kind of for statistics, but not an expert in data analysts. What is your background in statistics? I have no background in statistics. It's deriving statistics, example, turnout, early voting participation, those kinds of broad. And so you can do that math? Yes. Okay, how do you do that math? Tell us, how do you compute turnout? Objection relevance. Join. This witness is not an expert. Okay, he's not an expert. Wait, wait, wait. Far afield. Let's lay the foundation specifically for this exhibit and then establish the parameters of your question for him so that I understand the basis of what's being asked. Okay. Mr. Valenzuela, do you have any reason to dispute that this data accurately to data on the exhibit for which there's been no foundation laid. I'm going to sustain it. If you, I'm not going to tell you how to ask the question. But we're, we don't have foundation to ask the question you're answering, posing to you. Okay. I just wanted to, one hypothetical question to ask him, but I have to ask him to assume your The assumption I'm asking him to assume is this, that this user and his approval of ballot affidavit envelopes is represented by this line on this graph. 
Your Honor, over time. That's the question? The hypothetical is, if that is consistent with Maricopa County's standards for approving valid affidavit signatures. That is my question. Objection Foundation, Your Honor, as regarded his digit on that right hand was pointed to that exhibit for which no foundation has been laid. Okay. But hypothetically, what you're asking him problem is, is you've been thinking about this examination for a long time, and there are things in your examination, the question you're asking him, that are quantum leaps and assumptions that you're not asking him to assume. And so, it lacks foundation. If you want to show him a picture, not representing that it's anything substantive from the case, but this is assuming... And I'm telling now. I'm trying to tell you how to ask your question. Hey, Your Honor, that's I'm, I'm I'm showing him this graph and just asking him to assume. But is this a graph to show you? I I don't. As I look at this, I don't know what that graph is. I don't know what any of the axes represent. And you're asking him a hypothetical. That doesn't, you're, you're leaving out assumptions, you're not providing all the data, you're just saying, look appropriate. What I would like to, you to assume on this graph, this axis here represents the number of valid affidavit envelopes approved. And that this axis here represents the time taken to approve. You understand? I understand that explanation, yeah. So if you had a signature verification employee whose time to approve on average followed this pattern, would you say that they are comparing signatures or they're not comparing signatures. Objection, Foundation, Your Honor. We don't know where this document came from, who made it, what it... At this point in time, Mr. Valenzuela, if you're able to understand the question and you don't need any other information or clarification, and you're able to answer the question the way it's posed to you, you can answer it. If you can't, you can tell me you can't. I don't believe I can accurately answer. I can make some assumptions like you're asking me to, uh, but I don't know that particular data. I don't know who that user is, but if you're asking, does that bar look accurate as far as ups and downs, peaks and valleys? There would indeed be peaks and valleys when somebody's doing a disposition of a no signature one second, a no signature one second, a absolute consistent signature 2.4 seconds, or one that is not consistent that needs further evaluation. So we would see peaks and valleys in any user who reviews signature peaks. Oh, okay. And so please explain for me what you mean by these here peaks and valleys. Um, is this a peak? I'm inferring that's what that is because I'm looking at a chart that I don't, I've never seen before, but assuming it goes up and down that that is indication as you explain the access it to me. All right. Sorry, finish your question. Because we're both making assumptions. Right. You're asking me to make assumption. I am following along. That's what I'm doing. I'm asking you to make assumption. Objection calls for speculation. 
and that you, as the head of the elections department who oversee all signatures, is this, if, if this represented, excuse me, 134 represented an actual Maricopa County Signature Verification employee, would you say that that behavior is consistent with their oath of office? Objection, Your Honor. It appears the counsel is using that as a demonstrative, and he's asking the witness to make assumptions that it's based on actual data from the 22 election, for which no foundation has been laid, and he then will argue to the court that based on these assumptions, his answers are evidence that somehow should be used by the court to deliberate for the ultimate question. This is completely improper, and it deprives my client of their due process rights in this hearing. Thank you. All right. Is this a demonstrative? Hold on, Mr. Blum. There was an objection. Is that a demonstrative exhibit? You started off by saying that that's a demonstrative exhibit. Yeah, sure. Okay, that means that you've got a witness that you will use to lay the foundation for that. Okay. Now, you can ask questions. In fact, you already did yesterday. Ask all the questions about times for, very, for performing the analysis of whether signatures were similar and timing. But now you've apparently exposed to that some representation of that onto that demonstrative exhibit. It's not this witness's demonstrative exhibit. And so if you have a witness that you want to lay the foundation for that demonstrative exhibit, it, it's not demonstrative exhibits don't come into evidence. They are there for demonstrating more effectively to the trier of fact um, what the witness is testifying to. Understood, yeah. So this is not a proper use of a demonstrative exhibits. You've already asked and had answers to all of the questions related to the data yesterday. Understood, Your Honor. So let's move on, please. Okay, so you testified that you did participate in the production of that data that I represented to you is represented by this chart I asked you to make assumptions about, correct? Correct. Okay. What was your role? What role did you play in producing that data? I apologize because it's going to sound overly broad, but I requested it of our team and gave them specifics of what to pull for that data request. Okay. But I did not pull the data myself. I did not analyze the data. I submitted the ticket under the public records request. Uh, do you have the ability to analyze this data? I do. I have the raw data, but I don't have the ability to probably to that degree as, again, I meant indicated I'm not a data analyst. Okay. Thank you. Okay. It's asked and answered, so. All right. I'm done, Your Honor. All right, cross-examine. I told you yesterday um, you can either go 
as far as you want, because as you all understand, Arizona is not limited like the federal system on cross-examination. You can go as broad as you want it, if it avoids calling the witness again, uh, in your case in chief, or you can stick to what you wish to in this case. So who's doing the cross? Yes, Your Honor, um, we will be calling this uh, witness as our only witness on direct. That's your, that's your right. And I, I'm happy to do a minor cross to clean this up. I can do that on direct. Um, it's really up to you, Your Honor, how you want to do this. I don't know if you need a break now or... It, 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 it's it's really not up to me. It, it's your choice as to how you wish to try your case, but I'm just emphasizing you have that. I'm signaling to you that I recognize that you have the right to recall this witness if you wish to in your case in chief. So you can either conduct cross as you see fit or not. Your Honor, we're going to not question this witness at this time and wait and do all of our work on our direct. Very well. Our case. Okay. Okay, without cross, there's no rebuttal. And so, um, can we, um, I think somebody in the back, are you taking pictures, sir? Sir, are you taking pictures? Pardon me? I, I didn't hear your answer. Your Honor, he said, yes, he did. But he won't anymore. Okay. Okay. All right. There's, there's just specific rules that are in place that we have to follow with regard to that. So I would just ask you to delete that. I could have my staff review that. I'm not going to have them come take your camera, but you already get it. You're not going to take more pictures. If you could just delete what you took in the courtroom, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. So... Um, we're going to, let's see, we've only been at this for an hour. Um, so, Mr. Valenzuela, I think we can excuse you to go ahead and uh, take your place in the courtroom if you'd like, sir. Thank you. Okay. Who is the next witness that you would call? I think... You only got one witness left that you told me. Correct, Your Honor. That is Mr. Spatine. Okay. Are you ready to... to oh. Sorry, Your Honor. All right. Just returning the... Perfect. Thank you, Mr. Blem. I appreciate that. Okay. Yeah, you can leave. Luz, how are you doing? Do you, you want to break now or do you want to keep going? Okay, we're going to continue because I have to check with the court before them. So we'll begin with uh, your, your witness, Mr. Olson, knowing that we'll probably break around 10.30 for the mid-morning break. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Get your, oh, I think he's... Your Honor, plaintiffs will call it Eric Spikine. Mr. Spikine. Come on forward, sir. You could raise your right hand and be sworn in, sir. Thank you, Mr. King. Have a seat. All right. Mr. Olson, you can begin. 
Or maybe I, well, I just want to move that monitor. What is, oh, the monitor. Yeah. Right. That That's just fine. That's fine, sir. Is that blocking anybody on the defense side now? No, Your Honor. Thank you. We're good. Thank you. Good morning, Mr. Spikine. Good morning. Could you please state your full name for the record? Eric Spikine. That's E-R-I-C-H. Last name Spikine. S-P-E-C-K-I-N. And Mr. Spikine, where do you work? I work for Spikine Forensics. Our main office is in Michigan. I work primarily out of the Fort Lauderdale, Florida office. Now Hollywood, Florida, I should say. And what does Spikine Forensics do? We're a full-service forensic firm. We deal with all aspects of forensic science. Uh, we deal with computer data recovery, crime scene, re <clears throat> excuse me, crime scene reconstruction, firearms and tool mark, fingerprints, DNA, toxicology. But the section that I deal with is documents and inks. Mr. Spikine, you need some water. You coughed. Have it ready. Thank you, Your Honor. And they have extra lined up for me, I think, too. You're set. Uh, do you also work in the field of handwriting analysis? Yes. So under documents and inks, there are two schools of thought. There's a document analyst that looks at just the document aspect, and then there's handwriting. I do both, and in the United States, nearly everyone does that does documents also does handwriting. In some countries, they differentiate the two. But under document examination, or under that title, it would be document examination and handwriting would be part of that. And is signature verification subsumed within handwriting analysis? That would be another way to say it or an application thereof from handwriting examination for determination of authorship. That's the way I would say it. But signature verification is saying the same thing, in my opinion. It's just not a phrase that I normally use. I would say determination of authorship, but it's the same thing. And can you give me a more detailed description of your job that you perform at forensic, uh, speaking forensics? So my primary functions as it relates to work or documents and inks, I mean, I have administrative functions as well, but nobody's probably interested in those today. Um, so I deal with the examination of documents and inks. So in the examination of documents, I am examine documents for alterations, additions, and rewritings. Has a document been altered, changed, added to after the fact? And also perhaps when it was done. The examination of photocopiers, facsimiles, printers for determination of origin, date, time, associations. Copiers, facsimiles, printers for determination of origin, date, time, associations. The larger part, especially now because we've had a death of one of our partners, um, is handwriting. I've been doing handwriting now for 30 years, a little over. Um, and that is the determination of handwriting and handprinting, of course included in that is signatures, for determination of authorship. Did someone write something or not? And the certainty to which you can express that conclusion. And that's what I deal with on a large scale. It seems like if you ask my wife every day, but six days a week probably. And so I believe you testified that you have worked at Spikine Forensics for the past 30 years. Yes, I started in March of 1993, and now we're May of 2023, so 30 years and three months. How many uh, 
employees are at Speaking Forensics currently? Between full and part-time, you would say? Yes. Well, instead of testing my memory to count every one, I'd say roughly a dozen. Okay. Uh, I could take a lot of time and give you an exact answer, but if that's good enough for you, roughly a dozen. Can you describe the education and training that you have in the areas of expertise that you just described with respect to document analysis, handwriting analysis? Yes, I have a degree in chemistry. Uh, it's a Bachelor of Arts from the College of Natural Science from Michigan State University. That's my educational background. Uh, my training, I had a two-year training program with Leonard Spikine. That's my father. Uh, it was in the examination of documents and signatures. He's the retired chief document examiner for the Michigan State Police. He retired in December of 1989. He trained me from 1993 to 1995 in the examination of documents and handwriting for determination of authorship as it relates to handwriting. I then had a one-year training program with Richard Brunel. He's the retired deputy director of the ATF National, National Laboratory. Uh, he trained me from 1995 to 1996. That primarily focused on inks and papers, who manufactured an ink, when it came out, how long it's been on the paper, and are two inks the same or different? That's the primary fast answer to what that was. And that was from 95 to 96. Do you hold any licenses related to offering expert opinions on handwriting analysis? No, there's not a license per se that's granted by a state or local body. I am a licensed private investigator in the state of Michigan, which is required under laws of some states. I don't think Arizona is one of them, but I don't know for sure. But you have to be a licensed private investigator to store and maintain forensic data, primarily related to computer cases and computer data. I maintain that license in an abundance of caution, but it's not something that really plays into my normal workday, but I have it. You described two uh, instances of the training that you've undergone for handwriting analysis, I believe. Yes, my father and Richard Brunel. And do you maintain any, uh, or strike that, do you perform any proficiency tests, annual tests that would uh, allow you to uh, show that you've maintained proficiency in these areas? Yes, my laboratory many years ago, I think in 2007 or 2008, um, at the decision of Roger Bullhouse, who was our laboratory director at the time, uh, decided that we would all go in our laboratory, uh, undergo proficiency testing. So we have an outside proficiency testing agency uh, called CTS, Collaborative Testing Services. They're the ones who provide a lot of testing for government agencies as well. That's what they do. Um, to be tested in handwriting and document examination for me. Obviously, our DNA people are tested in DNA, but uh, that's what I'm tested in on an annual basis. And we have occasional additional proficiency tests that will be tested that are internal proficiency tests um, that are created by staff at the laboratory. Um, but the main one is outside proficiency testing on an annual basis. And when, it, when is the last time that you completed your outside proficiency testing in handwriting analysis? With COVID, it changed things a little bit. So I can't remember if it's one year or two years ago. 
Uh, and the new one is coming up. So it's been ordered, but I haven't been delivered for 2023 yet. Have you participated in any uh, workshops with respect to scientific meetings on the issue of handwriting analysis? Yes, I've attended many workshops on handwriting examination, uh, expressing conclusions uh, within that determination of handwriting on mass scales. They have software in the forensic world for mass scale handwriting comparisons. Um, I've looked at what they would say would be more difficult cases, like how to tell something that might be more difficult that a layperson wouldn't be able to see in terms of forgeries and how it's done. Uh, but that's probably one of the more frequent workshops is the examination of handwriting in some form or fashion because it's one of the more common things that's encountered in my field by similar experts. Who puts on these workshops that you're describing? Well, generally speaking, it would be a relevant scientific organization. So it might be, I heard someone say American Board of Forensic Document Examiners, they don't actually have their own, but they have American Academy of Forensic Sciences that they're related to. And they have workshops all the time. The American Society of Question Document Examiners has workshops. Here you have the Southwestern Association of Forensic Document Examiners, SWAFTI. They will put on workshops. There are other regional organizations similar to that, such as MAFs or SAFs or, you know, for different geographical areas uh, that will put on workshops. I've also attended workshops from specialties. In other words, I've attended workshops at Canon on how Canon printers, technologies, and toners work. I've attended workshops on paper on how paper is made at various factories. I've attended workshops on ink on how inks and pens are made and ink is put in pens. Those are not the norm, but those happen on occasion, and I always try to make those. Are there workshops specifically related to the issue of handwriting analysis? Yeah, as I said, with various scientific bodies, that's probably one of the most common types of workshops that's available. And do you participate in those workshops as well when made available to you and schedule permits? When schedule permits is exactly how I was going to answer. Early on in my career, I attended a lot more frequently. As I've gotten busier and had more children, I've attended less frequently, but I still do attend. And I also present. I mean, I'm a frequent presenter of papers and workshops at various scientific bodies on this type of thing. How many cases involving handwriting and signatures have you reviewed in your career? So I only, when, I, when we say cases, just to be clear, I only keep track of a case by a submitter. So, for instance, there could be a case with many, many signatures that are involved, but it's only one case. So if we take one case by single submitter, I would estimate it's probably at this point in my career in the range of 3,000, 2,800 to 3,200, given a range, uh, that I've examined as an examiner. <clears throat> and I'd estimate in my training period I had probably around 700 that I either reviewed through the course of the work or I was asked to review older cases for specific purposes for training uh, supplement. Have you testified as an expert witness with respect to, well, strike that, how many cases have you testified as an expert witness in your field? I think the number is 413 today. Uh, this will be the 413th time. 
in my career, counting trials and depositions. I don't have it broken down specifically, but counting trials and depositions, sworn testimony, I think this is around 413. And of those cases, how many uh, did you testify on the issue of handwriting analysis, signature verification? I can't give you a breakdown that fine. I can tell you it's the, the majority of them, but I don't know that it's 297 or 350 or I, I can't give you a number that specific. That would mislead to say I know it that specifically, and I don't. But, but the majority of them have been handwriting-type cases. So when you say the majority of them, you mean the majority of the 413 uh, cases that you referred to earlier? Correct. Over the majority, well over half is what I mean. <clears throat> In all of the cases from which you uh, testified as an expert, have you ever been disqualified by any court? Uh, there was one instance related to ink dating where a court read an opinion that had been thrown out and said we're not going to have testimony on that issue, but never with handwriting. So when you say ink dating, what does that refer to? Well, the issue was a very, very narrow issue, and it had to do with the estimation of age the length of time an ink had been on paper by the chemical drying properties and comparing it to an ink from the same sample that had been accelerated aged in a laboratory and saying the extraction properties were different. That's the technique, and that was in 2003. Now every private laboratory I know uses that use of heat to accelerate the age of inks. But in 2003, the judge wasn't ready to hear that at that time for a myriad of reasons. You, you mentioned that the court relied on a case that had been vacated. Can you explain that further? Well, so the case that I'm talking about where the judge didn't allow testimony here in the United States was EEOC versus Ethan Allen, Northern District of Ohio, um, and I think it was 2002 or 2003. They quoted an opinion from a Hong Kong case that had myriads of terrible things to say about me, and it later came out that the judge didn't write that opinion at all. He just copied it from what the, the other side had written. And the Court of Final Appeal, the C, they call it the CFA in Hong Kong, threw the decision out because the judge merely copied what the defense had written. And uh, I don't remember the exact language. It's been over 20 years. But something like he didn't apply an independent thought, or I don't remember exactly, but something like that. Or they couldn't be satisfied he applied an independent mind. I don't remember exactly, though. Can you uh, describe to the court the number of different uh, venues, jurisdictions, in which you have testified as an expert in handwriting analysis? Specific to handwriting? Let me think. Well, let's so I'm just starting from back up for a moment. Uh huh. Withdraw the question. Can you describe to the court the number of cases, or strike the number of jurisdictions and the names of the jurisdictions in which you have given testimony as an expert in your field? So, as an expert in the field, I can give the fast answer of 30 states and 37 states and 11 countries. Um, I can attempt to list most of the countries. Um, 
the ULEX court in Kosovo, England, Jamaica, Canada, Mexico, Japan, Hong Kong, United States. I'm falling short on three. Germany by submission. The Virgin Islands. And the last one currently stumps me, but I'll probably have it before I leave the witness stand if anyone cares for the 11th. I believe you testified that you have uh, offered expert testimony in over 30 states. 37, I believe, is the count. And is Arizona one of those states in which you have uh, offered expert testimony in your field of study? Yes, Arizona is. Uh, the surrounding states, California, well, forgive me if my geography is slightly off, but when I say surrounding states, I mean the ones that are close. They might not touch. But California, Nevada, New Mexico, Colorado, I know Texas doesn't touch, but it's kind of close if you're from the East Coast. Um, and then spreading all the way up to Washington State, Maine, and Florida, and everywhere in between of missing 13 states that I haven't. And can you give a, just a, a, a general description of the, the clients that have retained you to give expert testimony on their behalf? Are they individuals? Are they companies? So most of the clients that would retain me would be lawyers representing a party. It could be a governmental entity, it could be a company, it could be an individual. I do have some companies and some organizations that have retained me directly. Um, the NCAA, um, the NBA, NHL Players, NHL Players Association, uh, things like that. Uh, big companies with internal reviews of certain issues. Handwriting is a common one. Did someone write a threatening letter? Did someone write a note on the bathroom wall? It's common that I'm retained by a company such as uh, General Motors, a Ford, a Honda, a Chrysler, that sort of thing in those instances. Large banks. I mean, anybody with big HR departments that conduct their own investigations on threats, um, I see that frequently. But still, the majority is attorneys that represent a party that would retain my firm. What government agencies have retained you as an expert? As an expert, um, Florida Department of Law Enforcement retained me to provide training to perform analyses. Uh, many U.S. attorney's offices, prosecutor's offices in many states, um, National Labor Relations Board, um, the DEA uh, in Florida prescription cases, uh, SEC, and then usually it would be the U.S. attorney representing someone. So it might be a case, say, for an FBI prosecution, but the U.S. attorney is who retained me. So it wouldn't be directly from that agency. It would be a U.S. attorney's office or um, – I forget the national of the fish and wildlife, whatever that is. I've been retained by the U.S. Attorney's Office in those type instances. 
And have you been retained by government agencies, particularly with respect to law enforcement, for your testimony regarding handwriting analysis? Yes, I would say most of those were. Um, with few exceptions, it might have only been uh, regards to ink dating, like Orange County, California prosecutor's office retained me, but it was only related to ink dating. Los Angeles County prosecutor has retained me for both. I mean, we could go on and on, but yes, generally it's both, but in some instances, it's only one of them. Have you ever testified in front of any legislative bodies on the issue of the subject matters of your expertise? Yes, I have. Can you describe that? I testified here in Arizona at a hearing, I think it was a joint session of the Senate and the House together. It was a few months back. I testified in the state of Michigan to the, I think it was the House of Representatives. It might have been the Senate as well. I'm not for certain. Those are the only two times I can think of. Have you been appointed by any court for the defense in criminal cases? Yes, I've been appointed by judges throughout the country many times for my expertise. And did any of those appointments involve the subject of handwriting analysis for your expertise? Most all of them. That's the most common thing that you would see in government practice, and I would say most of them, yes. In your career, have you... Uh, offered opinions or testified as an expert in election-related cases? <clears throat> offered opinions many times. I've testified in election cases only a few. doesn't normally come to testimony on the broad spectrum of the cases that I see. Obviously, examined thousands and testified hundreds speaks to that. Um, but I've offered opinions many times, yes. Have you performed handwriting analysis in connection with election-related cases? The majority of election-related cases would be related to handwriting, except for a few recent ones regarding printing processes and so on. But historically speaking, it was handwriting that I dealt with almost exclusively, but most still are handwriting. Can you describe when you're doing work related to elections and handwriting analysis, what is, what is the work that you're doing? So the most common thing that I've seen in the past when it relates to handwriting is in nominating petitions, recall petitions, that sort of thing, that are signatures required to put something on the ballot, either a person or a referendum, or whatever that's called. And they have to gather a certain number of signatures in order for that to be voted on. And I'm not an expert in politics, but that is how I understand it. Uh, looking at those signatures to determine more commonly, not is it the exact person of that signature, but did one person sign a bunch of these names all together? Or is there what we refer to as a round robin of eight people sitting around a table and person A signed signature line one and then two and three and so on. And so every eighth line, in general terms, is signed by the same person. So it's looking at overall characteristics of handwriting to determine if there's a common authorship that can be determined on a rotating basis like that. Um, not very often in election matters, the way the discovery works, are we provided signatures and known signatures to compare to of the people and be able to do it in a manner that comports with the 
discovery rules in election cases. So I don't see that too often in election cases like that. Um, I have in the past, but that's infrequent. Usually it's more on petitions and ballots. Are there other instances where you are uh, tasked with evaluating large numbers of signatures? Sure, there's other applications, of course. I mean, when I started, um, well, not maybe exactly when I started, but not in my career, long-distance slamming was a big thing. So you could go to a supermarket and you sign a piece of paper saying, change my long-distance carrier to this person, and they give you a $50 gift certificate or a savings bond or whatever. I mean, they have some toaster or whatever. They have some gimmick, right? And then these people say, I never changed my long-distance. Well, then the FCC, FCC investigates that and says, did this long-distance carrier fraudulently switch them to their service? And in that case, then you get you have to go do the research and get collected signatures from DMVs in those states or voter applications, voters' registrations, if you can get them, and then do the comparison that way. So that's an instance of it being done in a mass scale. Uh, mass tort cases where certain documents signed by plaintiffs when there's um, the most recent one I can think of with an affidavit was the Birmingham hip replacement case, um, and there were hundreds of plaintiffs in that case. And the question was, were they signing their updated disclosures of some sort? And I don't remember exactly which disclosure, but were those signatures consistent with other documents they had signed in the court proceedings to that point in time? And there were hundreds of plaintiffs to look at and do that comparison. So it's something that I see regularly on top of election cases in a mass tort or uh, other related settings. So in this context, you have often performed an analysis of signatures to compare with a record signature to determine whether or not the signature is consistent or matches, correct? I would, I would just modify the question to say record signatures is the most common. So usually you have one, two, or three, two and three, you know, or four or five, whatever. Um, you sometimes only have one, but that's not the most common result of how many signatures you have. But Sometimes it can be one, yes. And you do the comparison with what you have. Absolutely. Mr. Spikeen, are you familiar with the issues related to signature verification that are being presented in this case. Hold on just a sec. I sense a change of gears from foundation to application. It's 1030 and we need to take a break. So I'd rather not chop you off in the middle of what you're attempting to do, but take a break here, come back in the 15 minutes and let you resume. Okay. So we'll be taking our morning recess of 15 minutes.
very well. <clears throat> we are continuing on the record in CV 2022-095403, Lake versus Hobbs et al. Present for the record are party representatives and our parties in all respective council. And with <laughs> Mr. Spikeen on the stand with uh, direct examination in progress. And we will continue with that, Mr. Olson. Thank you, Your Honor. See you when you're ready. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Spikeen, uh, before we took a break, you testified that you were involved in cases involving a, a review of mass signatures, election-type uh, matters, uh, mass tort cases, and the like. Do you recall that? I do. And typically, how would the review of mass signatures be conducted? So, if possible, my preferred method would be to have someone in my office that's at a lesser hourly rate prepare graphics that would have the signature at issue. It's what I call the question signature. Uh, but the signature that's at issue at the top, a dark, or if there's more than one, the two or three at the top, a dark black line, and then the known signatures below with the dates so that I can compare the relative time and know when they were from uh, on consecutive slides. So if I'm at my computer, and I have my monitor, a slide would come up on the screen, and I would have the question signatures at the top, known signatures at the bottom, and I would do my comparison from there. And I could click to the next slide and do my comparison from there. And that's how I would go through it. Similar to what I've seen that Maricopa has. It's not exactly the same, but it's substantially similar. Uh, setting forth the question and the knowns, to compare. If it's a very large scale for limited purposes, I would try to have someone in my office with some training on handwriting. Uh, I don't know what the word would be. Triage or initially review to determine are there a lot of signatures that have problems, which ones are they, and so on. But I wouldn't remove any of the slides from what I see, but I would have notes on which ones they saw. That is in a perfect world. That doesn't always, the, the last step doesn't always happen. And when you say typically you would maybe have some individuals from your office perform the, the first cut, would that be a fair way to characterize it when you say triage? Yes. And would you train those individuals in what to look for in terms of signature verification? Well, they would have already been trained. So it would be someone who's maybe a lower level exam, they haven't been doing it as long as me, but has undergone the training or has had a year or two of the training. That's an advantage that we have at our disposal in my office that other people don't, but clearly they've had training, yes. And speaking of training, uh, did you hear the name of Kathleen Nicolaitis? I, I heard it uh, in the question and the response from Mr. Valenzuela, and I've seen it in some of the other materials I know who that is. And, and who is Kathleen Nicolaitis? Uh, she's an examiner, a forensic document examiner or analyst here in, I think, Phoenix, but d d definitely in the Phoenix area. Um, she was trained by a guy named Bill Flint, William Flynn. Um, he's like my dad's age. I, I, I've known him since I was a kid. Um, and she trained, I think, I think she's a little bit younger than me as far as I know, but I don't know a ton other than her professional background. 
is your understanding that uh, Ms. Nicolaitis has offered training uh, at the uh, employment of Maricopa County for signature verification workers? Yes, it's my understanding from one of the witnesses that testified yesterday, Mr. Valenzuela, today. And I think she cites that in her own professional bio in cases that I've seen that she has done such in, in her CV. Would you consider her a, a colleague or you know, in the same field that you are offering testimony in? She's definitely in the same field and attends the same types of meetings. Maybe we've not been to the exact same one at the same time, but the organizations that I talked about, she would attend those meetings and she would go to the same kind of workshops I talked about and things like that, yes. And, and you mentioned that you know her supervisor, is that right? I don't know if supervisor is the right term now. She's been doing it for quite a while, but the one who trained her, I know Bill Flynn, yes. How do you know him? Well, I first met him, I think, when I was a kid, before I even got in the examination at a meeting with my dad. But as I got in the field, I would talk to him at meetings. He's a, he's a nice guy. Who, who is Mr. Flynn? I believe he retired from Philadelphia Police Department as a forensic document analyst. He's probably, well, I'll just say roughly the same age as my dad. I wouldn't want to offend him, but, uh, you know, he, he's been around. He's a contemporary of my father. Jackson, Your Honor, this line of questioning relevance. Are you done with that? Or? We're, we're done with it anyway, Your Honor, but it's just establishing his background and particular relationship to similar experts in America. That's fine. We're moving on. That's fine. <laughs> Mr. Spikane, are you familiar with the, uh, the issues in this case as they relate to the review of signatures, voter signatures, uh, by Maricopa signature verification workers? Yes, I believe I've heard several days of it, uh, and specifically the testimony yesterday and today. I have a pretty good, at least working knowledge of it, yes. And what, what is your understanding of the variables at issue in this case? Uh, my understanding is to determine if it was physically possible to review uh, and compare, as it is in the statute, to compare samples uh, to one another to determine if they are consistent or inconsistent. And then, of course, there's a disposition as to what to do, but I don't have an opinion on that part of it once it's disposed of. Hold on. Objection on irrelevance. Uh, this goes to Reyes. Again, Judge, we've heard foundation, I believe, for the experts, um, I'll say background, okay, Your Honor? But may, may I continue to speak? I don't want to presume I can't. Thank you. And, Your Honor, we've heard him talk about how he analyzes signatures, and he has to have access to signatures to look at the signatures to analyze them, how he would do it. First off, that's process. Second, he doesn't have access to any of these signatures. Third, he can't testify about the process. Nobody gets to take issue with the process today. The question is, was it followed? And we cannot have an expert here today testify beyond that issue. And it sounds like they're going into something that's completely inappropriate for this trial. Okay. Thank you for clarifying the objection. <clears throat> because there is a crossover here. And let me make it clear so we don't have this popping up and down through the entire spectrum of testimony provided by Mr. Spikini. The, the nature of the presentation by plaintiff, as I understand it, is going back to the um, system being overwhelmed and not performing the inspection at all. This is not a revisit of how well it was done. 
it's basically the, the position that plaintiff's position is that it's not physically possible to perform even the rudimentary um, analysis. And so as a matter of pleading and evidence, I've allowed them to present the evidence that they have on that. I understand and I will acknowledge that during the course of any of the testimony, as there has been up to this point, there's going to be crossover where people are going to be talking about ideal situations or would have been, could have been, should have been. Okay? That's not the nature of the trial. The, the nature of the trial that is before me is whether or not it's physically possible to, to do any inspection as part of the proof. Understanding I have been here for the entire trial and I have listened to all this. He testified it's several days. It might have felt like several days, but <laughs> we've only actually been here a day and almost a half. <laughs> That's right, Your Honor. Um, I, I, just for purpose of clarification then, Judge, it would be cumulative, and here's why. We had an entire day of testimony from their witnesses testifying. It actually happened. So, again, he's going to process. I understand your position. Truly, I do. Okay? But I've already made the ruling. I address this mostly in the motions before trial, and it's, it's not possible to completely clarify everything, so I'm taking the time right now to say I'm inclined to know, let, let him testify with regard to these matters, knowing that there will be some washover, if you want to call it that, that goes to process. However, this is a bench trial, okay? And I've, I've, I've tried to make that clear in my ruling before trial and related to excluding witnesses wholesale in that I believe that I'm capable of sifting through that and discerning where the line is being crossed, okay? Now, if we get too far afield, I have absolute faith that you will step up and point that out to me, okay? So, I thank you, Judge. This is a long speaking ruling on an objection that you're not used to because yes, I have long speaking objections, but I have allowed and even encouraged, okay? Mr. Olson, is there anything to add? Did I get it? Yes, sir. I think you're covered. Oh, and by the way, what happened yesterday in terms of my uh, willingness to accept any, any defendant's objection as being joined by all the rest of the defendants holds true today and throughout the rest of the trial. Okay? You're right. you, know, you know, we don't feel good unless we're talking. <laughs> I'm the opposite. <laughs> Mr. Olson, please proceed. No, I'm, I'm going to re-ask the question because I'm not sure if he answered it. Thank you. Mr. Spikin, what is your understanding of the variables at issue in this case with respect to signature verification as performed by Maricopa County employees in elections? So to be more specific, there's a statute that I was provided. And it's <laughs> Uh, 16-550, I believe, is the number, that says what is to happen under law with early voting ballots. And it says they should be, they shall be compared. 
So my understanding is, were they compared? Could they be physically compared, under the definition of compared, in the time that the data shows that they were compared? Is there an issue with respect to uh, a, a, something that's been called as an FBI black box, case, black box case that is relevant to any opinion you might offer here? I don't know that it's relevant to the opinion. It's relevant that I've been involved and it would be part of my training and experience. So it would naturally factor into my opinion, but there's not a direct correlation of study says A and therefore B, but I have a knowledge, and that's part of my knowledge base. Objection, relevance. Well, I think you asked the question, and I got the answer. Thank you. Thank you, Honor. <laughs> Have you published any papers on the subject of handwriting and document examination? Yes, I've published and presented papers, um, including a chapter and an encyclopedia on the subject. Um, I've presented papers at meetings. I've presented as part of workshops to various organizations, primarily not on doing the examination, but on expressing terminology and conclusions, perhaps more directly. Um, but the chapter and encyclopedia is on doing the work and how to detect it. And Mr. Spikine, have you reviewed any data provided by Maricopa County with respect to uh, timestamp log data on the performance of signature verification workers in the 2020, 2022 general election? Yes. And are you prepared to testify about your conclusions and analysis drawn from that data. Yes. Does that data directly relate to the uh, ability of a signature verifier to compare a to compare a signature on a ballot envelope? with the record signature of the voter? Yes, based on the time that's been, or the average time, or however you want to phrase that, as to whether that can physically be done. If there's a limitation that you could actually compare, which is to look at two or more things to see similarities and differences. That's what compare is. If that could be done at the speed at which the data shows it was done. And what you're talking about is to compare signatures. To compare signatures, because that's what is, the question is whether that's what's being compared. Once that being the one at issue on the ballot envelope, the other being one or more known signatures from some historical retrieval process. And is it your understanding that the comparison, as that word is defined and used 
in ARS 16550 that the determination is whether or not the signature is consistent to? Yes, if you read the statute, it, the next sentence says, if it's inconsistent, this is what you do. So clearly the selection process is consistent or inconsistent. Based on that, it's either A or B. And that's what the level one users have for inputs. It's A or B. They have two. Okay, at this time, plaintiffs chose to admit Mr. Spikine, the expert, to testify on the ability of Maricopa's signature verification workers. Okay. Arizona doesn't do that. It's okay. I know some jurisdictions do. Arizona just requires that you have education, knowledge, training, or experience under Rule 702 to opine on a certain matter. The rest of it goes to foundation. I'm jumping over Dalbert, gentlemen. Um, but uh, the rest of it goes to foundation for each question. So... For the record only, Your Honor, and because the question was asked, we would object just to preserve the record. But I understand the court. Thank and you. And I understand, and that's preserved for all defendants. <coughs> so there won't be uh, – I, I just told you, we don't do that. You just ask your questions, and then if they have an objection on foundation, they can raise it. Uh, but let's proceed. Understood. <clears throat> no further questions with this witness at the time, Your Honor. May I, Your Honor? You may. Thank you. Your Honor, can we have five minutes, please? Oh, uh, quick recess, just to assess how much of the cross-examination we may not, may or may not need to do. I'm willing to, I'm willing to cede the six to ten minutes that will take of our time. If, if five minutes is going to save me thirty, correct? Could. It could. It could. Then could. I'm willing to give you the five minutes. Thank you, Judge. So we will recess for five minutes.
Y'all had enough time to very well. We are continuing back on the record in CV 2022-09-5403, Lake versus Hobbs et al. And present for the record are either parties, party representatives, or their appearance uh, being waived and counsel for all parties. Mr. Wilson. Yes, Your Honor. I just want to make it clear I was not resting our case for dismissing this witness from our standpoint. When I originally offered him as an expert, and Your Honor, I admonish that that's not the way it's done here, I was merely saying that I was done, had no further questions at this time. And so, and then I was going to allow, that was some, that's the other side, though, that I had nothing further at this time. I believe that counsel may believe, may be arguing that we did not intend to call this witness for any further questioning. And so I just want to make it clear we're not done with questioning this witness on his substantive opinions. That's all. Well, wait a minute. I need to understand something. If you tell me that you have no further questions on direct, if they have no questions on cross, there's no redirect. And then you'd rest your case. You don't have any other witnesses, correct? Well, but that was not my intention, Your Honor. It said no further questions. I'm not going to parse words. Hold on a second. Explain to me, Mr. Olson. Yes, Your Honor. All I was saying is that we were done at this time because counsel was jumping up to question just as he did. I just wanted to let him know that we were not done. We were done with the initial presentation to allow them to walk here in the witness. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. If, if I may, Your Honor, I... Oh, one lawyer per per person, but, but with all due respect, Mr. Blunt, here, here, here's what I'm getting to. If you are telling me that you are done laying foundation for his um, qualifications to render opinions, then I would expect that you'd proceed right into his opinions in the case. Because when you tell me I have no further questions, that means I'm done with direct then it's their decision as to whether or not they cross. If they don't cross, there's no redirect, so the witness is done. And the only other way he comes back to testify is if they put on a rebuttal case, if they elect not to put on rebuttal, he doesn't come back because there's nothing to rebut if they don't put on anything further. So I'm trying, I'm not trying to lay anybody's strategy out here and flay it open, but I also don't want some type of high-level chess going on with somebody claiming later on the rug got pulled out from underneath him. So either you, if you have questions of him that relate to this case and you can put them on at this time, you have to put them on. Rebuttal is saved for things that you didn't anticipate but were raised by the other side in their case and then move on. I feel like I'm teaching a seminar up here. Um, so. Have you? Uh, I do have further questions for this witness. 
seminar. I object. You are teaching a seminar. It's not my fault they don't understand basic procedure. He rested. No, he didn't rest. He said, I have no further questions for the witness. Here, I'm using a term of art. My apologies. He stopped. He, he seated the witness to me. Right. I would, it's oh. now my turn to cross or not cross, and then we proceed from that. That's how we do this, Your Honor. I would ask the court's indulgence. Given everything that has gone on, things clearly was not done with the. What's happened is what happens is this, and you, Mr. Morgan, I understand your position, but you're also very familiar with a request to reopen that somebody makes. You haven't spent your cross examination and then, you know, put yourself in a position where I'm reallowing this. At this this particular time, it's <clears throat> it would be a hyper application of procedure over substance to have that happen. I understand the course procedure. Because he's going to, I, I understand you do. I understand you do. And what I'm trying to do, too, is to protect the record because I don't want an argument later that I, a request to reopen should have been granted. And I'm not coming back, to be blunt with you, seven months from now to find out somebody took a different view than me. I understand completely. Okay. I think now that we've addressed the 800-pound gorilla in the room, Okay. Your Honor, before you rule, I understand what your Your Honor is about to rule, but may I make my record real quickly? You absolutely may. Thank you, Your Honor. For the county, I join the Secretary of State's objection, and I add that under our rules of civil procedure, a, an attorney admitted pro hoc vici is expected to understand our procedure and understand our rules. And I disagree with Your Honor's ruling. I respect it, but I disagree with Your Honor's ruling that he is making. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. LaRue. Thank you, Your Honor. And just so the record reflects, the governor also joined in this objection and would request that no further questions be asked. Of him. Right. I'm going to take it that every one of the defendants joins in what Mr. LaRue just told me. If I'm mistaken in that, stand up and tell me. Otherwise, you're joining with Mr. LaRue. I don't hear anybody telling the opposite. Okay. Thank you. May Thank I approach you. and retrieve my exhibits? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Spatine, is there a difference in verifying an individual's signature to determine if they are consistent versus verifying signatures on a large scale? to determine if the signatures are consistent, such as occurred in the 2022 general election? Yes, there's typically a difference, number one, in application. So for instance, is, for instance, if you had just one signature, the consequences of that decision could be extraordinary if it is a genuine signature or not. When you have 1.3 million, each individual one, of course, has less consequences. And I'm not discounting the argument yesterday of how important it is for your right to vote. I value mine like everyone else does. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in a mass, it's not as big a deal. Um, number two, the time to set up. And number three, the 
tools and technology and staff at your disposal to set these up, such as we heard about the process of how they're scanned and how other records are located that are similar, how they're inputted on the screen with user interface and so on. That's not something you would do if you just had one signature at issue. It wouldn't make sense. So, of course, there are differences, yes. Are there differences in the way two signatures would be compared, whether it's an individual one or a, uh, on a large scale? I don't think there would be a substantive difference in the way it's done. The level of detail and amount of time would go proportionately down, typically, with the number of signatures at issue, <laughs> the task and the consequences and the layout of the individual matter. But uh, in a sense, what you would look for, like the broad and local characteristics that were discussed yesterday, those don't change. That's how a comparison is done. You're looking for similarities and differences. That's what it means to compare. I'm looking to see if two things are the same or different. And are you familiar with the, uh, the system by which Maricopa employs to verify signatures at the level one signature verification worker status? As far, my familiarity as far as what a level one worker would see, do, be presented with, I would say I'm very familiar. As familiar as you can be without sitting in front of the terminal. As far as like how the was scanned in to get to them and who did it and where it came from, I heard the talk yesterday, but I wouldn't say that I totally understood that. I, in general terms, I do, but I don't know the players like everyone else in the room probably does. What did you do to familiarize yourself with how signature verification is being performed in Maricopa? and specifically in the 2022 general election? Specific to 2022, I talked to people that were, number one, trained in the process. I investigated who did the training, and it was someone that I was aware of. Who's that? Uh, the Kathleen Nicolaitis that we talked, and, and I may be pronouncing her last name wrong because it was not intentional. I don't know her to that level, if I am. Um, I talked to people that did level one signature review, including two of the witnesses that we heard from yesterday. I heard Mr. Valenzuela at length discuss the process of where it comes from, how it's done. I've seen the video of people doing it. Uh, I've seen other videos of people doing it as well. It wasn't just the clip that we saw in court. I've seen, I don't know, maybe hours um, of different videos of people doing this process, screens flashing, things like that. Uh, that's... And, of course, my own knowledge of how comparisons are done, uh, consistent with what their training was. Did you review any of the training materials that had been provided by Maricopa County to signature verification workers? Yes, I believe there was one provided by Jackie Onakite, I think is how you say it, or Jacqueline, and... There was another one attached to some discovery at some point. I don't remember whose declaration it was about training procedures. I've reviewed the EPM procedures uh, of Maricopa County, and I've reviewed the training materials of the Secretary of State that have been discussed. Um, it's a low-numbered exhibit. I think it was one or two. Have you operated the signature verification system employed by Maricopa County? No. Does that affect the opinions you would give today? I don't think so, no. 
Why not? Because the inputs of what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, and the basis of what I already know is sufficient to draw the opinions that I did. If someone were to ask me what keystroke does what function, of course I don't know that. But that doesn't factor into the opinions that I have. Your Honor, objection, again, performance is not an issue. It's whether they perform the analysis at all. Back on relevance now. I'm going to take that as a continuing objection to all this line of questioning for this witness, joined by every one of the defendants. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank, Thank you, Judge. Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Olson. And informing your opinions, did you review data provided by Maricopa County that is uh, listed in or contained in Plaintiff's Exhibit 20? I don't have the exhibit number positively to memory, but if that's the CD-ROM that had the data related to a public records request that was admitted, then yes, that's what I reviewed. And can you describe what you did in assessing that data? Uh, the first was to assess the amount of time that each keystroke, well, no, I should back up. The first thing I did is look at the email chain, describing what the data was, what was requested, and what was provided. So I looked at the chatter, if you will, I, I, uh, the exchanges uh, between the two ends of the terminal in providing that data by link uh, with, that we're talking about. After that, I looked at the data to determine how it could be distorted and what could be interpreted from that. The main piece, the two main pieces, would be percentage, in other words, the percent of pass or fail or what we've called, I think, good signature or exception. I prefer not to use the word exception today, not because it's not a good word in the English language or doesn't fit the bill, but because it sounds too close to accept. And when someone's taking it down or hearing it, they might mistake it, and I don't want to be misinterpreted in what I say. So for purposes of this, if I just say pass or fail at level one, I think we all know what I mean, I hope. Um, but the exception is something that's I've had problems when people talk to me with that word. Uh, and then calculate the time between each of the successive keystrokes to figure out how long each of these data entries is taking to make the next one. In other words, from the time you draw a conclusion on one set of signatures in front of you to how long you draw the conclusion on the next is what the data is allowing to be determined. So the very first one, when you log in, we don't have a data point for that one because there wasn't something before that showing a decision was made in the data logs. You just have the first one and then every subsequent one of a determination to that. Did that, are you familiar with the video that was Mark entered as Exhibit 19 of uh, the gentleman performing signature verification work. Absolutely. I was here all day yesterday, and I've seen it before that as well. Is that activity represented in the data that you reviewed that is Exhibit 20? Objection, Your Honor. They... Okay, if you've understood the question, you can answer it, Mr. Spikine. If you don't need clarification, I'll have it rephrased. If you don't understand it, tell me, don't guess. Ask for it to be rephrased. 
If you're able to answer it, sir, you can answer. If not, I'll have the question rephrased for you. Um, the answer would be two, yes in two parts. So it's there on the whole of what that data looks like with repeated speed and also for that user at specific points in time. So the answer to the question is yes in two different parts. The trend of what the data looks like for someone clicking quickly like that. And then secondly, the data is present for that user at those time frames as best I can tell. Keeping in mind the computer clock may not be synced to the second with the uh, video feed clock, but it's close so you can determine who it is. Can you describe further what you did to analyze the data provided by Maricopa County? That is Exhibit 20. Well, once those fields are created, so the data fields that were already given, uh, voter ID, user, date and time, stamp, and disposition are created. And then the additional field that I just talked about with the amount of time between keystrokes is created. Then you can query through Microsoft Access or similar databases uh, that data to look for what you would want to look for. In other words, you can certain by a, uh, filter by a certain user. You can filter by a certain day. You can filter by a certain speed. You can filter by um, all the users at a specific time. You can filter by any sort of if-then statements. If this, then provide it, or if not this, then provide it. Uh, and you can use greater than, less than, equal to, Greater than or equal to, less than or equal to, any of the numbers that we talked about. So, for instance, you could say less than or equal to five seconds, or less than or equal to two seconds between keystrokes, or greater than or equal to an hour if you wanted to see when someone took a break. Whatever the case may be, you can use the data through a database tool or database program like Access to query a myriad, many, 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 perhaps even close to an unlimited number uh, of different reports or ideas that you would want to see. Is this similar to Mr. Speaking, you have a tendency to speak fast. I heard that before, Your Honor. I'll work on it today. Well, for the sake of my court reporter who doesn't want carpal tunnel, just speak slower and it'll, it'll help the record. I will do that. I'm sorry. Is that similar to, for example, operating an Excel spreadsheet? Yes, in that access is typically used for data sets that are larger. So Excel doesn't necessarily have a, um, a cutoff that I'm aware of of the number of data sets. Uh, but when you start getting into the thousands and thousands and over 100,000, it doesn't work as well, and access is a better tool. But it's the similar queries. Objection artist line of questioning and the question was just asked. There's been no foundation whatsoever laid for this witness to be an expert in statistics, statistical analysis, or electronic databases. I would ask the court uh, to strike the testimony we just heard. Okay. All right. Um, or may I? Yes, go ahead. <laughs> there is no particular expertise required to operate an Excel spreadsheet, or it's no different than a secretary operating Microsoft Word. I would like to lay the foundation for that. All right. The response tells me that you're not 
offering him as uh, a person to do statistical statistical analysis. Correct. And I think it's much like Mr. Valenzuela, who said, I can do spreadsheet. I know what the data is when you present it to me in a report format. He does have some expertise in terms of interpreting what that means. And I may have missed, I may have underestimated or understated Mr. Valenzuela's capabilities, but I believe I heard something similar. So to the extent that the witness is relying on spreadsheet data, he can, he can do that subject to your cross, but he's not being offered for, uh, an expert on statistical analysis per se. Correct, Mr. Olson? Yes, then that's fine. Go ahead. Thank you for the clarification, Judge. Go ahead and proceed. Are the tools that were employed to access the data on that had been produced by Maricopa standard off-the-shelf tools common in common usage, in your opinion? Yes, access is a Microsoft product. You can buy it at Best Buy or but online from Microsoft. It's not it used to be packaged as part of their office suite. I don't know if it currently is. I think you can buy it as such. I'm not in charge of purchasing, so I can't tell you, but it's a very common um, software that Microsoft makes for this application. Absolutely. Did you work with anybody in accessing this data? Yes, I did. Who? I worked with Chris Hansel, the one who testified yesterday about the receipt of the data. And what, what did you do with Mr. Hansel? Uh, we worked together to run reports for things that I wanted to see. Uh, typically, I would give him the inputs and say, I want to see the data for X user with less than a seconds or all the users that had this type of activity, whatever the query was. Um, and we used the wizard function, which is part of the commercially available access that creates the process by which access searches, which in a sense is the, the for and next loop, which is like basic programming is how it looks. Your Honor, I'm going to object for the record. What I'm hearing is testimony about statistical analysis. I was just told by counsel he's not being offered to give any opinion on, or testimony on statistical analysis. Yet here we are. I again move to strike. Okay. I'm going to explain to you my when I use the term statistical analysis, I'm talking about the interpretation of the data. If they're talking about sorting data, I don't believe that's statistical analysis. I agree. And so, therefore, what I'm hearing is the spreadsheet is being used as a program to respond to specific queries that the witness has posed to the person who's assisting him. Give me the data sorted for these criteria. If that's the way that the system functions, that's fine. Applying statistical analysis to that goes beyond the scope or interpretation. I just saw, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, I agree, Your Honor. I just want to make sure I'm on the same page, too, because I, I did object. It's one thing to swabs and testify that you did so. It's another thing to testify that the end result you received, to my opinion, they're correct. He's not a statistician. I think we've established that. I, mean, I don't follow the argument. that th th There's not an opinion in front of me that's been... Well, I agree. I felt like we were getting there, and that's why I stood up. And that's fine. When I get to that point... If there's an application of statistical analysis, I expect that you'll object at that point. Right now, what I've got is data sorting by categories and reports being run. In other words, he's asked for, if he asked for a report that says, 
if it's in the database, everybody named John, he would get that input. Statistically, how that impacts his opinions, different matter. Okay. So at this point, that's as far as we are. If it is sorting the data, that is one thing, but he testified that he is making inquiries or drafting inquiries to the Excel spreadsheet. That sounds like something yeah. that is statistical. And I object to his testimony yeah. about whatever queries he's drafting. All right. I would, I disagree with you. I would agree that if the question were phrased that I used a program to generate statistical analysis of the data, I would agree with you. But right now, all I hear is data sorting. So We're, we're on the same page. Thank you, Judge. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> Mr. Spatine, the data that, right there, can you describe again what you did with and working with Mr. Hansel to extract data. So maybe it's easy to just give an example. So I would say, let me see all the keystrokes and determinations that were made less than three seconds from the time the last keystroke was made or determination was made. It would tell me all the times that they did it. From there, I can calculate which users did it how many times the users did it, how many times that input was whatever the determination was, whether it was passed, failed, whatever it was. You can determine that from the answer that you get. And is that data that's been extracted under those criteria just simply sorted by time? Perhaps Filtering is a better adjective than sorting. I'm not disagreeing with sorting, but I'd say filtering. Is there any statistical analysis involved in your opinion? The only statistical analysis is calculation of an average of a certain set of numbers, like what's the mean? It's something that I think... You don't need to be a professional statistician to know you sum it up and divide it by how many you had. Um, I think that's the only... And if you count a percentage outcome of statistics, I wouldn't, but if someone wanted to be super technical, uh, how many were this related to this? That's a simple division, but those would be the only rudimentary statistics. But we're not talking student t-test or standard deviations or anything like that. I'm not... You're talking about calculating an average, which is what is done in sixth grade and requires no special expertise, correct? Or even before sixth grade. I 100% agree, yes. Your Honor, we had started... Okay talked how we were going to have Exhibit 47, which was the complete version of 18. don't believe, I have everything here. I don't believe we haven't put anything in the record to submit it. Well, it hasn't been marked yet? Well, we have the blue sheets on it, and it has not been marked yet. 
But if, and we submitted, Your Honor, the exhibits. Exhibit 18, as I said, was every other page was not. So All right. I can use Exhibit 18 because it doesn't change anything. No, 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 we're not doing that. Unless, if you're going to admit 18 and you're not going to put in 46, you can do that. But I thought the whole purpose of marking the other exhibit was completeness. Yes, Your Honor. Don't even suggest that you want to use the half one then because you don't get to duplicate. So if you're going to use 46 right now, if you're going to have it marked, I thought it was marked because I believe that I wanted to... You, asked, you, did, ask, you did ask him to mark it this morning. But that's fine. Hey, you haven't got it marked? I believe it's 47, Your Honor. Is it marked? It's 47. Yeah. Thank you. And my clerk tells me that 47 has been marked, and she oh. has it. That yes, should right be up here. My apologies. You don't have anything different in your hand, do you? No. In exhibit 47. Wonderful. That's good news. So did you have questions about exhibit 47 that you were going to ask? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. As long as what we're doing is laying foundation, I'm okay with that. I can I can see how it progresses. I just didn't know what we were doing. Thank you. Is that where we're at, Mr. Olson? Yes, sir. Please, then. Can we get the video? Well, first, you're going to talk about Exhibit 47. You're going into what it is. I was at the, the earlier objection that some of the state's uh, council had was that um, to the actual foundation as in custodian of record like this is the complete and accurate copy because the original exhibit number 18 was missing every other page because it was only copied halfway. As I recall, the objection that council had was um, this is late disclosed because we only had every other page. And so I had asked that the 47 be made available to them so that they could inspect it and look at it. And I understood that the argument you're going to have is that this is the data that came from them that's transposed on the exhibit. So it's not something that's newly discovered, but it's supposed to be something that's marked and exchanged as an exhibit ahead of trial so that they know, everybody knows what the evidence may be, but what's actually going to be presented is a different thing. And so has, has the state had the chance to inspect Exhibit 47? Your Honor, only in so much as that I've got a copy of it and I've looked at it, and what I'll tell the court is, one, it appears to be, again, statistical conclusions, and two, based on the testimony I just heard with respect to another exhibit, it appears that this may not even be created by this witness, and we have foundational problems. Okay. Then maybe I'm working under a misunderstanding. I thought that Exhibit 47 represents nothing more than a physical printout in written format of the data that was provided by the county. If it's a product of analysis and a summary of the witness, then at, at this point in time, that, that makes sense that you're laying the foundation by talking to the witness about how the witness created it. Is this something created by this witness? Yes, sir. Okay, now I understand. 
Okay. All right. So we're going to go th through that with Mr. Olson laying the foundation. So now I understand it's not a custodian of record. It's he created it, meaning he and the witness, and you're going to tell me the basis for it. Yes, sir. Let's get started. You wanted to play a video, is that right? Yeah, no, it is the exhibit. We wanted to put the exhibit up on the screen. Oh, fine. It's not a jury trial, it's a bench trial, so go ahead. And, Your Honor, um, may I approach the witness and give a hard copy? You absolutely may, Mr. Olson. Your Honor, while he's doing that, can I, may I please move this television screen? You may do so, absolutely, Mr. Morgan. In fact, if you want to... This isn't even going to, I don't want to get in your way. Oh, I know what I'll do. Look at that. How's that work? Can you see? Does this work? Thank you, Judge. Okay, now we're working on, just to be overkill here, we're working on Exhibit 47. Right, everyone? Yes, sir. Mr. Spikane, do you recognize what has been marked for identification as Exhibit 47? I do. And what is this document? This is a summary table of the data related to user number, how many total verifications they did over the period of time that was given for the data, the election cycle for the general is what was requested, the verification rate to so how many of the keystroke entries were to what I said earlier, just quite simply, is pass, or good signature, related to the other keystrokes. Um, and then, as we move to the right, the speed at which those verifications, or comparisons, or determinations, were done. So, when we get to the first column, it says, in less than or equal to five seconds. Uh, just to clarify, that's an integer-based search. So, it means, if the integer... I, I'm sorry for interrupting the witness, but he's testifying about what this document says. The foundation has not been laid, and we're still objecting on the basis of the foundation for this, but he's beginning to offer testimony about what the document says. Okay. All right. I may have overlooked something. Let's go to how it was physically created, or who created it, if you would. I believe that's where you're coming from. <laughs> that's correct, Your Honor. Thank you. Please. Can you describe how this document that's been marked for identification as Exhibit 47 was created? Yes, it was created at my direction using several different queries in the access tool to look at the column headings that are present there. Of course, the worker or the user number is a data field that was given in the data. The others are generated from the verifications of the keystrokes that they gave, the number of them. And, and I started saying what the other things are, but it, it was created at my direction to demonstrate the speed at which these comparisons were being made. Morgan? Your Honor, yeah, we, we still renew our objection here, Your Honor. This foundation is established merely that someone else created the document, and we have serious concerns with the underlying data that was used. We don't know where the data came from, who uploaded it, where did they upload it, how did they, what buttons did they push, how did they do it. I'm not trying to do the foundational exam for Mr. Olson, but at the end of the day, just to help ease things along, those are the issues with our objection. Or I should say that's what, those are the underpinnings of our objection. 
Your Honor, I would like to add to this objection. Again, this witness is not a statistician. He is not qualified as such. He was not disclosed as such. As a statistician, his disclosure says he will respond to opinions or he will testify about signature verification processes. He is someone put together a spreadsheet and now he's doing math and percentages based on numbers that we don't know what they came from. This is far beyond the scope of his expertise. I think I can summarize that you're objecting to the foundation for who prepared it, how they prepared it, when prepared it, gave it to him. And for who prepared it, how they prepared it, when prepared it, gave it to him. Fortunately, I believe the answer to those questions is Mr. Ansel, who was in the courtroom until about two or a minute ago. Um, in terms of exclusion of witnesses, but I think that um, but keep in mind this is something that you're you're talking about the foundation of where the data came from okay if if, if the data was well. Subject to them calling the witness that actually created the, the document, we can take the testimony, but it's only as if it is only relevant and has zero weight unless you establish the foundation. Okay? This is doing it backwards. I agree. But I think I'm capable of, of sifting that out. So that if you require, if you want them to call the person who actually made the report and have that person testify about how it was created, then we can do it or you can, they can either, a plaintiff can do it or a defendant can do it, either one, okay? Your Honor, um, I appreciate Your Honor's opinion and perspective. Um, for the county defendants, um, I want to again say on the record that we expect those who are admitted pro hoc vici, and we certainly expect Arizona attorneys to understand the rules and how things are to be done. I also want to say that I understand that this is a bench trial, and I have the utmost confidence in your honor's ability to separate these things and make these distinctions. But I remind your honor that this is being live streamed, mm -hmm. and there are many people across the county perhaps, perhaps across the state, perhaps across America watching it. And they don't necessarily make those distinctions that Your Honor is capable of making. And it is prejudicial to our client, uh, the, the county recorder, to have something shown and testified about that the foundation has not been laid for. We don't know what the underlying numbers are. We have no idea whether it was entered correctly. And this will become the story among the people who are watching this. Let me put your minds just at rest for a little bit. This really isn't as unusual as you're pointing out. For the reason that expert witnesses testify all the time in court and exhibits are admitted without any more foundation than for the expert to say, yes, I relied on that. Yes, I relied on that. Yes, I relied on this. And then when it comes time for cross-examination, the other side may attack and say, this is a completely invalid 
piece of evidence that you considered in your report and ask, doesn't that undermine your opinion if all your opinions are predicated on something that has no foundation? So it does happen all the time. But I appreciate the need for foundation if it's offered for the truth of the matter asserted. But again, and that happens in jury trials, not just bench trials. So evidence that experts rely upon that would not otherwise be admissible can be admitted for that limited purpose. And I appreciate the fact that there may be people who are on live stream who draw wrong conclusions or don't understand how the rules of evidence work, the rules of procedure work. All we can do here is follow the rules, and I can do my very, very best, which is what I've tried to do to make it that we follow the rules and have a fair proceeding. So even if there is no foundation, this witness can testify that he relied on it, and I will also give you the opportunity, and I'm sure I will hear an able cross-examination on those issues. Thank you, Your Honor. We should call the witness to lay the foundation is up to the plaintiff. Not, not, not this witness. Now, on that issue, just again, so I didn't say anything about that, I, I will object to that if and when it does occur. What? I would object to that if and when it does occur. I want to be clear. I'm not asking for anyone to call the witness, but a witness that's already testified after we invoke the rule right. who's been in court. Give issue for later, but I just want to make sure I, you, we're clear. I didn't waive that. You have not waived it, and I have always taken the objections you're making now to the admission of the exhibit as a unique standalone exhibit. Correct. If they were, the, what I explained to you about experts relying upon it would be based on the attorney saying, I'm not offering it for the truth of the matter asserted. I'm offering it for proof of what my expert relied upon. Different animals. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. With that, <laughs> the look at the clock says it all. Um, we've got. Well, we got about seven minutes. I'm just trying to make this thing move along, and um, I want to use the seven minutes, so go ahead and ask more questions, and we'll end at noon. Okay. Um, are we on track to wh – where do you think we're going to be at the end of the day? I think we may be done, Your Honor, at least with witnesses. Okay. Now then, that's them then you have the decision to make about what you want to do. And that puts us pretty much on track for what I allocated. So thank you. Let's go ahead, Mr. Olson. Keep asking your questions, if you will. Mr. Speaking, you testified earlier that this, was a doc this document was made at your direction. Did you actually participate in the creation of it yourself? Yes, that right there. And how did you participate in the creation of this document? I explained for this chart, or this table in particular, exactly what I wanted for each column and how to filter the data to get it. And do you, under, do you understand that this type of data is something that is it's voluminous, correct? The raw data of exhibit... 19 or 20, what is it? It's huge. It's 1.4 million lines of text with four columns per piece. It's big. And if somebody wanted to arrive at the same conclusions in terms of the interval, 
between keystrokes. That's something that would be, you could do by hand, it would just maybe take years. Objection. Quick form. Again, out of an abundance of caution, I think I'm hearing a request about mathematical certainties, calculations, and statistics, Judge. I heard the question to be basically, if you did the, if you perform the sort function that Excel spreadsheet did, it would take you years. Is that what you are asking? If you did it by hand? I don't know that he knows the answer to that, how long it would take, but... I'm laying the foundation on This has nothing to do with statistics. It's just extracting data. That's all. I can take judicial notice of the fact that computers can do things faster than humans if you all want to do that. But we'll stipulate to that, Judge. Thanks. Your Honor, the county definitely stipulates to that. Thank you. All right. Let's move on, please. Does Exhibit 47 appear to be a true and accurate copy of the chart that was created with your participation and at your direction regarding the data extracted from what has been entered into evidence as Exhibit 20? Yes, other than I have a black and white version, but yes, I think a couple numbers might have been in color, but it's, a, it's absolutely accurate, yes. I would like to move that this exhibit be entered into evidence. For purposes of what your expert has reviewed or for purposes of admission outright? For purposes of what our expert has reviewed. Any objection? No. No. It's offered for that limited purpose and admitted for that limited purpose. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Spikine. You were earlier testifying about the top columns, headings, where it says verification rate of five seconds, excuse me, verifications in <coughs> less than or equal to the integer of five seconds. Do you see that? Yes. Do you explain once again what those columns relate to? Yes. So when the data was received, the time clock or the date stamp, date time stamp was only resolved to the actual second in nearly all of the instances. A few had to the millisecond. I don't know how reliable that was, but nearly all of them was just to the second, which is reasonable, not being critical. But that means if I say I did this event at X time, 12 o'clock noon, 12 o'clock, zero minutes, and zero seconds, and I did the next event when the clock is at, noon, zero minutes, and two seconds, you can imagine that if I would have started it at the very beginning of the zero and ended it right before it hit three, that's 2.999 seconds. Or if I was at the end of the zero seconds when I started it and the very beginning, it would be just over one. So there's a range that can happen. What this means is the integer was five seconds or less between the subtraction. In common terms, and, and I'm sorry that this could be misleading, but in common terms, it means six seconds or less that we can say with certainty that the action was six seconds or less. It actually means less than six seconds, correct? Because the energy goes up to 5.9999. Depending on how the data resolves. Reading. Okay. Uh, 
technically it's leading. Yeah, technically it's leading, but it's a rephrase of what he said. I think I understood the question and answer. Got another question? Yes. Sir. Can you just go through the headings on this exhibit and explain what they mean? Sure. So the first, the easiest one is worker. That's the what I heard was the the term I think was anonymized user number. I'm assuming so they didn't have to give the names of the people, which I obviously understand. So each person was assigned an anonymous user number. Then for that user, what they did. So verifications overall. That means the number of times that they made a determination in some form or fashion about a ballot envelope. And then the percentage of those that are verified is the next column. So the number of times that either passed versus something else. doesn't mean versus failed. It could be that it was a spousal exchange or it could, there's a lot of different codes that they use that it could be. It's just passed versus everything else. What is a spousal, spousal exchange? I'm sorry, Your Honor, objection. He is now testifying to the document as if it is true and he is not testifying about his conclusions based on his reliance on the document. It's outside the scope of, first of all, this document is being used for purposes beyond what you did. Again, he is engaging in statistical analysis of this data, which is beyond the scope of the subjects on which he was disclosed. And it is extremely prejudicial to our client. Okay, the first part you're saying he's using the exhibit, interpreting the exhibit, or using it to offer his opinions. And it's the purpose for which it was admitted. The second objection is that he's making statistical analysis of what's going on. As far as what I'm hearing, I what I've heard so far is this is sorting of data with regard to keystrokes and differentiation between the time and keystrokes, and this is the data that was extracted into the very columns, and now he's reading that data that was requested and now he's going to offer an opinion on it. So at this particular time, I don't see a statistical analysis component to it, but I'll wait and, and hear whatever further testimony there is. But, okay, that's fine. Well, it's afternoon. So, I believe we're on track, so I won't make you come back early. We can come back at 1.30 to resume this, but we'll come back at 1.30 and resume again with Mr. Spikini on direct examination, okay? Thank you all.
He's doing. Hey, 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 hey. That's glass, okay? I'm going to let you say hi to everybody. Here. What's up, everybody? So, I haven't been given commentary in, uh, during the breaks because I'm on daddy duty, but I took my eye off fan for two seconds. And then I come in here and find him in my chair, slapping my computer. So apparently he wants to say hi. Here you go. The floor is yours, sir. You want to say something? You Let's see. How many people are watching? You've got 526 members in the audience. Give them your thoughts on the trial so far. Oh, you want me to say something? Um, I think the defense and this judge are, like, really corrupt, and they just keep objecting, and there's not much being accomplished so far. I'm really... <laughs> hey, 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 you're gonna... You're gonna mess it up. Be careful. Yeah, hopefully we establish something after the break. So what do you think, sir? We want your expert opinion. <laughs> Let me turn the light on. Because you're, look, you're looking pasty. Like We're both looking pretty pasty. There we go. There we go. Now we got that yellow hue. Yeah, that's the camera. <laughs> Super Buff Chef says he's already tall, as tall as CanCon. He's going to be tall like Daddy. Yes, he's going to be at least nine foot tall. You're making me nervous with the mouse. Uh-uh. What if you exit out? You're scaring me. You want me to spin you? Yeah? Okay. All right, everybody watch. You guys are going to think I'm a bad parent. But... I'm going to do it anyway. Wee! 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 All done? All done. That means all done. He knows a little sign language. You want to get down? All right, he's going to go play with something else. So I got to go. All right, we'll resume the trial after the break. I got to feed him something. I'll be listening with headphones. Oh, you're back. <laughs> he's stumbling around. He's dizzy. You feeling a little woozy? Again? <laughs> what you want? Ooh. That sounds very good. You guys hear that? That kind of sounded like uh, Metallica, Nothing Else Matters. Vance playing the guitar. All right, I got to go. Um, and so here's what's going on at the Most Cedar household. My wife, she's doing a rover visit right now, 
it's kind of like her little side hustle where she takes care of people's dogs. So um, she's going to be getting back in like an hour. Right around when they go back, when we when we go back on at uh, 4.30, and then she leaves to go to her other job at about 5. And I'm going to have to put this kid to bed probably around the time the trial is over. So I don't know if I'll be able to give any commentary, to be honest, and maybe we'll have to do uh, an entire separate live stream. You know, if there's anything substantial in the next half, I might do that after he goes to bed, but we'll see. But either way, we'll keep the stream up. I understand if you choose to go elsewhere where they're giving a, you know, a play-by-play. But I made a promise to you guys we're going to stream it all three days, and so we're here. All right. Yeah, not much happening. They're not it's, – it's been so mind-numbingly frustrating listening to this, first with Brian Blem just completely dropping the ball, I think, with Ray Valenzuela, the election administrator. I mean, he was basically asking – whoa, 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 whoa. See, this is very difficult for me. Asking pointless lines of questioning and completely missing the opportunity to get the guy on perjury. The guy perjured himself yesterday. He contradicted himself. He said the guy in the 90-second video that was clicking accept on every ballot was doing his job properly, doing exactly as he was trained to do, and then in the next breath turned around and said the guy was removed from his job for not doing his job properly. He perjured himself, right? And I, I didn't see Brian Blem attempt to establish that. Brian Blem, you know, I, I understand these people are under a lot of pressure. I understand that this is not an easy task. But you stepped up to the plate, man, so I'm going to evaluate your performance. What do we think about Brian Blem, man? Whoa, whoa, whoa. How am I supposed to hear myself talk if you take my headphones off? I can't hear myself without my headphones. And I, oh, wait a second. Yes, I can. <laughs> Why do I wear headphones? You just made me realize how stupid I am. I have ears. Okay, I don't need these. I've never needed them. Then you just blew my mind, son. Clearly, you're smarter than your father. Now, I wear the headphones because we play videos and stuff, and I do need to hear that. Whoa, whoa. But anyways, yeah, so Lakestein had an opportunity to go after Ray Valenzuela for perjury, um, and I didn't, I didn't feel like we established much in the first half, and I partially tuned out. I was like, I can't take this anymore. It's giving me a headache. And then I listened to the commentary on Badlands, and they kind of felt the same way. So I guess I didn't miss much. And then with uh, Eric Spikine, the forensic expert, they're just, they're just challenging him and his ability to provide statistical analysis, and he hasn't even tried to do that. So they're just objecting to everything, wasting time, running out the clock, and we're just dealing with the defense attorney's objections and try, I mean, trying to establish foundation so that Kurt Olson can get on to the point. And it's so frustrating. Hours have gone by. Three hours where we've 
barely established anything of substance, and it's very frustrating, but I am hoping that we can get somewhere after the break. Woo! But I don't have much else to say about that at, at this point in time. Whoa! You want to spin me? You want to spin me? Yeah? All right. Do it. Where are you going? Oh, you're hungry? Okay, he's doing, he's doing this, which means he's hungry. So I got to go, guys. Put that banner back up. Make sure to click that like button. All right.